0: that today. But I did want to mention, of course, tomorrow we celebrate the 4th of July, right? Independence Day, which is the anniversary of the colonies and our founding fathers taking their stand against Great Britain in 1970, or excuse me, 1776. Man, that was a bad mistake right there, huh? You know, this is... A celebration, a, an opportunity to remember what was done so that we could have freedom and uh, we all you know i 'm a huge revolutionary war fan, so I enjoy it in fact uh, my my mom was in town this week and we went down to the battlefields in yorktown and and it was so great and and I love listening to the the video there in the in the, in the main hall where they talk about what happened and I love the um, the uh, park rangers telling their stories, and they're so passionate about it, and it's, it's super inspiring to listen to. But, uh, you know, I was uh, just thinking about today, of course, we celebrate something of freedom much greater, right? Yeah. And uh, we were given our independence by Jesus, amen? Yeah. But not to live for ourselves, but to live for him, amen? And so today we'll be studying out Ephesians 6 after taking our stand in the battle. Uh, We have a far more at stake when you talk about your spiritual life than our independence during our life on this earth. The outcome of this battle could have eternal rewards or eternal consequences. So we got to make sure that we grasp really the spiritual battle that we are engaging in. Amen? Before we get into Ephesians 6, you know, it's important that we see it in its context and that we kind of just do a quick review of everything that we've been studying since the beginning of the year in Ephesians. And so you're like, how is that going to happen? That's a great question. I, I'm, I'm hoping that it, it happens quickly. Amen? In chapter 1, the Bible tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And if we remember, we learned in chapter 1 that we've been chosen, we've been predestined, we have been redeemed, that we have the riches of his grace lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. These things have been revealed to us, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Erebon, which is a deposit guaranteeing our place in heaven as long as we remain in the spiritual fight. In verse 18 through 22 of chapter 1, Paul prays, that we could grasp this, that we could somehow understand this. And he says in verse 18, you know, as Paul's praying, he says, he prays that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened, that we may know what the hope is to which we have been called. We have been called to an amazing hope in Christ and what the riches of his glorious inheritance are in the saints and what And what the immeasurable greatness of his power is toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come He said, I've given you power, far exceeding any spiritual power that might be against you. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 2, we learn that we've been made alive in Christ and that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And that we were included in the purposes of Christ, whether you were Jew or Gentile, when you were baptized. And, of course, we mentioned on Wednesday that on Tuesday, Antoine had gotten baptized. Amen? And so it's very encouraging. Antoine is in Christ. He's been made alive in Christ. That's inspiring. Chapter 3, Paul prays again that we can understand how good we have it in Christ. This says, for this reason I bow in verse 14 before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul was getting fired up, man. You know, the Spirit was, was moving. I lose my breath trying to read that. And I can imagine him just being fired up. Just sharing that. Chapter 4. We learned about the unity of the body of Christ. That there's one Lord, one faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all. And he's in all. Over all authority overall in our life. And we learn in verse 27, we also learn in that chapter to use our gifts to build up God's church. But then in verse 27, he says, and don't you give the devil an opportunity or don't you give the devil a foothold, depending on what your version says. All of these things And all of the challenges that we face in our life, in our sinful nature, provide Satan opportunities to take us down spiritually. Chapter 5, he says, not even a hint of impurity or of greed or immorality or drunkenness. These are improper for God's holy people. It's improper, and we already heard that earlier, right, from Marcel. Ephesians 5, verse 8, it says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. We cannot give Satan opportunities to have victories in our life. And then, of course, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, we talked about surrendering to the Holy Spirit's direction in our marriage, with our kids, with our jobs, and and all these different things. We learned we've got to surrender But that God is in charge of all of this. And finally we get to today. In Ephesians 6 verse 10 through 13. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all this, to stand firm. Guys, this tells us there is a battle going on, right? This tells us there is a spiritual battle going on between the Holy Spirit inside of us and the sinful nature within us. It is not a battle outside of us. It's not flesh and blood. Go! Oh, I'm mad at this person. I'm mad at this person. No, 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 no! That's all the spiritual battle. You are mistaken. It's not against this person or that person. There's a spiritual battle going on. It is a wrestling match. This wrestling was an Olympic wrestling terminology uh, that they used back then in, in Greek, in, in the Greek times. Man, wrestling was vicious. I mean, I used to be a wrestler. And, uh, and I enjoyed it and I thought it was fun but when they started teaching us how to hurt people I was like, ooh, I don't really want to hurt anybody and I don't want to get hurt <laughs> but these guys, you know, we, sometimes we watch the, you know, some of us, have, you've seen that UFC fighting and, and they hit them until they submit and they tap out, right? And we go, wow, that's pretty brutal this was brutal Back then, in a wrestling match, what would happen is the victor would gouge out the eyes of the person who lost. It was vicious. It was wicked. And it would render, of course, the person blind. Their battle was against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual battle against the spiritual darkness. It's absolutely no less ferocious than the physical wrestling matches they had back then. Because let me tell you, there's much higher stakes. And Satan wants to gouge out your eyes so you'll be blinded spiritually. And we got to make sure that we understand the seriousness of the battle we are fighting. Remember, Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't let him blind you. Don't get yourself in such a weak position spiritually that he can just gouge out your eyes. we got to stay strong. And the spiritual armor provides a plan from God to keep us strong, to keep us in a position of victory. And that is God's plan for our life. But we've got to be aware that we have a very aggressive and very formidable enemy. And that is Satan. And so you better put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. When we put ourselves in a place where we can be tempted, when we go places we don't need to go, When we look at things we don't need to look at, when we talk about things we don't need to talk about, when we let ourselves get in arguments and fights with our spouses, with our kids, you're putting yourself in a place to give Satan an opportunity. Are you taking the battle seriously? John 8 says, before we were in Christ, that our father was the devil. And we were rescued, amen? When you were baptized, you were rescued. When you were in Christ at baptism, you were rescued. You were ripped out of Satan's clutches. But he's not happy about it. So we cannot be ignorant of his schemes to try to blind us. One of his schemes, of course, is to make us think he doesn't even exist. To just make us think he's not even, oh, you know, just... He's not around. He's not involved. In There's no spiritual battle really going on. That's one of his schemes because, of course, he's the father of lies. He's deceptive. But we know he's very much alive. Revelation 12, verse 7 through 9 it says, The war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, they fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So where does that tell us that they are? They're here. They're in this earth. They're throughout the whole world. Trying to cause chaos, trying to ruin people's lives. What are some of the schemes of devil that he uses to attack us? Worldliness? Worldliness? 1 John 5, verse 19, says the whole world lies in his power. Did you hear that? The whole world lies in his power. When you're seeking the things of the world, Versus the things of God, you are playing right into him. Worldliness, rebellion, when you're rebellious to God's word. Isaiah 14, the Bible says that Satan rebelled against God in heaven. That's why he was thrown down. Temptation. He tempted Eve in Genesis 4 and he tempted Jesus in Matthew 4. He tries to pervert God's word. We see that also in Matthew 4 as he tries to twist scripture. If Satan was to have a band today, it would be called twisted scripture. That's <laughs> what he does. Zechariah 3 says he opposes God's work. Second Thessalonians 2 says he hinders God's servants. 2 Corinthians 4 says he restricts the proclamation of the gospel. 1 Timothy 3 says he snares the wicked. John 10.10 says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He loves nothing more than to destroy marriages, to destroy your hope of being in heaven one day, to destroy your joy, to destroy your dreams of being used by God. In Daniel, the Bible says that he deceives the nations. He will be religious when he needs to be religious. He'll be wicked as ever when he needs to be wicked as ever. He's deceptive. Comes in many different forms. He deceives the nations. We know he's the father of lies and the master of deception. What does the Bible say his name is? calls him the devil 35 times. The devil means slanderer. And he will slander you. And he will try to put thoughts in your mind and try to make you feel insecure about your salvation. Try to make you think that somehow you can't make it to the end. That the spiritual armor that God provides isn't enough for you. Although it may be for others, it's not enough for you personally. And he slanders you and he puts you down and he puts others down. And when slander comes out of our mouth, we are giving him an opportunity. He is called Satan fifty-two times, which means an adversary. It means he's against you. He is against you. He is our adversary. He came to kill and steal and destroy us. That's why he's here. Revelations twelve twelve says, therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He knows his time is short. Some of us, we don't realize our time is short. We live like life's never going to end, like God's never going to come. And so we choose to live a life that isn't really in the full armor of God. We got to take note. Satan knows his time is short. You should know the same thing. Amen? Amen. So what do we do? Do we give way to fear? Do we just run away? Do we just just pretend like it like it's not really there? Absolutely not. Point number one, and it's the only point you suit up for battle you suit up for battle and you suit up with spiritual armor not in your own strength because your own strength is far too weak last week raul talked about the power of prayer and we know james 5:16 that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective right without prayer you lose this battle 100 out of 100 times we got to ask God every day to strengthen us for the spiritual battle. Isaiah talked about the shield of faith last week, right? And he talked about the spiritual battle that we're in. I just wanted to recap on it because it was such an important thing. But the shield of faith that we can block the arrows, the fiery arrows of Satan putting those doubts in our mind or those insecurities... We need to come alongside and encourage each other in this battle and hold up our shields of faith so that Satan cannot get in there. If you're gonna hold up your shield of faith, you gotta make sure you have faith in the promises of God's Word. First Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. And when you've got to take your stand in the spiritual battle, you've got to have the faith that God's word is true. Amen? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Ephesians 1.18 we already went through this, but we have a surpassing power that comes from God. The Holy Spirit, the same spirit that, was, that resurrected Jesus, that power is inside of us, the Erebon. It's a deposit guaranteeing our future with God. You've got to believe it. Ephesians 3.20, we have immeasurably more power than we ask for or can even imagine. Ephesians 6, verse 14 through 17 tells us what equipment we need to put on so we can tap into that power. And then verse 11 of 6 says, we do this so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Guys, we cannot give Satan any advantage. You cannot give him any advantage. That's why in Ephesians 6, verse 13, it says, take up the armor of God. He says, and you got to put it on. The verb is an aorist imperative. And it's like a military command to put it on once and leave it on for a lifetime. It's not a suggestion. It is a military command. You put this armor on and don't you take it off. No relaxing the discipline necessary. To use this armor for protection. Do not relax. Don't let your armor down. It only takes the shield of faith drops, fiery arrows come. You got to keep it up. To win this battle, we must obey God's commands. Satan loves to attack the truth. He loves to snatch the word and the seed away from our hearts, even as we're hearing it today. Isn't that true in the parable of the soils? Satan comes and he snatches the seed and he pulls it away. So you got to make sure today that you're taking good notes. And that you go back and study it out. We are in a spiritual battle and you have got to prepare. You have got to be engaged. We cannot prepare for battle if we do not know our enemy we can't you have to know your enemy our preparation comes only in the strength of god again you can't do this on your own you know when you uh look at this passage you kind of Paul is kind of probably, he's probably looking at a Roman soldier even maybe as he's writing this because he's, he's in chains, right? He's in prison. He's surrounded by soldiers. And so he's thinking, hey, let me use this example to kind of explain. And he talks about the belt of truth, which is the spiritual discipline. The breastplate of righteousness, which is living a pattern of a holy life. Which is, you know, this peace that, that God is your defender. And I'm not going to talk about those today. Bill's going to talk about those next week. Um, The shield of faith, which was already talked about. But today I'm going to talk about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. That's what we're going to talk about. So today I want to talk about the helmet of salvation. But before we do that, let's pray. God, I want to thank you for an opportunity to to, uh, just lift up your word. God, we know this is a serious battle we are in. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to fight this battle, not in our own power, but in your power. God, help us to have the humility to put the armor on. Help us to have the humility to do what we need to do to prepare. God, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know... Uh, I was looking up some statistics and some stuff on, you know, people who ride motorcycles and don't wear helmets. It's a pretty scary statistic of how many people die every year because they don't want to put the helmet on. And we go, man, that's something like 11 million people. I can't remember the exact number. Some, in, some insane number. Some crazy number. I, I can't remember the exact number. But I was looking at it going is that possible? Is that real? That sounds crazy, though. I don't think that's it. But it's 11, some crazy number. And I'm like, all they had to do was put the helmet on. All they had to do was put the helmet on. And we go, man, okay, if that is that way in the physical realm here, what about the spiritual? How many people... Die because they won't put the helmet on spiritually. It's a far more staggering number. And we got to take it seriously. But as Paul envisions this armor, he expects us to put on the helmet of salvation. Why? Because it would protect them from the crushing blows. Of the enemy's swords. If you can cause head trauma and you begin to mess up a person's mind, then it doesn't matter what other armor they have on. Because they can't think straight, they can't, they can't defend themselves. They, they're not really sharp-minded enough to realize what kind of battle they're in. And some of us, we may have been there spiritually where Satan comes after us, and he starts to put doubts in our mind, and he starts to make us feel insecure about our faith. He starts to make us feel all these different things, and you're just staggering, and you can't even think straight spiritually. The helmet of salvation so important. Ephesians 2.18, Paul prayed that we would grasp the hope to which we've been called. You know, the truth of the matter is, is the helmet of salvation is associated with hope in First Thessalonians 5, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. The Bible really helps us to understand. Is it up right there? But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation. You see, there's something about that helmet that is connected to hope. In our salvation, of one day being with God, that being able to protect us when Satan's attacking us, we go, you know what, one day I'm gonna be with God. One day I'm gonna be with God. I have the hope that I will be with God one day. And that that would keep you in the battle, keep you fighting. Of course, this promise is for people who are already Christians. And Satan tries to cast doubt in our minds even as Christians, and we forget that our hope is an anchor for our soul. We just sang that song, right? Our hope in God, our hope in being with God one day, it's an anchor for our soul. And one day we'll all be gathered together in heaven. But we got to keep that in mind when Satan comes after us, because the helmet of salvation is that great hope of final salvation that gives us confidence and assurance that our present struggle with Satan will not last forever and that we will be victorious in the end. Do you believe that? Second Peter 3 verse 17 says, Be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. If you're a Christian, you have a secure position. Don't let Satan get in there and mess with your mind and make you think that you don't. If you made a decision, if you heard the Word of God and you believed the Word of God and you repented of your sin and you confessed Jesus as Lord and you were baptized, then you're a disciple. You are in Christ. And don't let Satan try to tell you anything different. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 through 5 talks about that we've got to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ because remember satan is a slanderer 35 times in the bible he's slandering people he's trying to make you think crazy thoughts oh i'll just give up i'll just quit and i'll give up really that god'll ever use me those are those are satan's thoughts those are not god's thoughts because if we're thinking Jesus' thoughts, we're thinking, man, my best days are ahead of me spiritually. My best days with God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. I have all the power that, of the Holy Spirit inside of me. There's nothing I can't do because God is with me. You will not be able to have a secure position in Christ if you do not know the Bible. If you just listen to others share about the Bible, but you don't really go back and study it out for yourself, you can't really have the security that God wants you to have, which leads to the second armor that we need, which is the sword of the Spirit. Do you realize we possess immense power with this book right here? Number one selling book for many, many years. And I don't anticipate it will end. Number one selling book. But most of these books end up on a shelf collecting dust. In fact, Bible makers are so confident that you're not going to read it that I know one, I I think it was Zondervan, I can't remember the name of the company. They said, look... If you happen to break the binding, you can just send it back to us and we'll replace it for free. I've sent back quite a few Bibles. (laughs) And I get a free one in the mail and I'm fired up. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? I got so many good notes in here, I'm going to keep it. But I'm afraid that most people don't read it enough to ever break the binding. And so these Bible makers feel confident making those kind of commitments. And that was the goal to break the binding. No. <laughs> not at all. Hopefully, not, you know? See, some of you are trying to break it right now. No. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about. I'm talking about. You're reading it so much and you're so into it that day after day, week after week, year after year, the Bible just takes a beating and you're not just simply listening to the word and deceiving yourself but you're really doing what it says now we know from hebrews 4:12 that the bible is sharper than any double edged sword now this here is the kind of sword they're talking about okay it's not a full long it's not the long sword but this is what the soldiers all had this is what peter used to chop off the ear of, I think, Malchus, right? It was this little dagger-type thing right here. And this sword is a double-edged sword. And the fact is, is this, is this is really, of all the weapons, this is the only offensive weapon, but it's also a defensive weapon. Because if someone's coming at you, you're constantly blocking, right? But you're also striking. Striking. <laughs> Thought you'd like that. And so, you know, am I that adept with this thing? I mean, if I got in a sword fight, I'm pretty sure I would die quickly. <laughs> okay? I have not taken any training. You know, this sits on my shelf. It was a gift from a guy that I appointed an evangelist. And, uh, and I love it, and it's very encouraging. But if I had to fight with this thing, I would lose every time. Just how it is. And that's okay physically if I can lose a battle but it's not okay if I don't know how to use it spiritually. That's not okay. And God will never, ever let us think, oh, it's okay if you don't really know your Bible. Just go to church on Sunday. Just be a good person. That you won't find ever in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say any of those things. And yet you hear people say it all the time. Oh, all religions lead to heaven. No, they don't. But you won't know that unless you read your Bible. So those are just ignorant comments, right? But we want to be able to trust this weapon can protect us. We want to be able to understand uh, that we need practice, that we need to learn how to handle it correctly, that we correctly handle the word of truth, the sword of the spirit. What does the Bible claim about the Bible? It claims that it's infallible, that everything in it is, Affirms it is true. Psalm 19, verse 7 The law of the Lord is perfect. It's inherent. Every word in it is true. In every instruction, it is pure. Proverbs 30, verse 6 says, Every word of God is pure. Complete. Revelation 22. You can't add it, you can't add to it or take it away. There is no further divine revelation. The Bible is canonized, it is complete. Authoritative. You know Isaiah one verse two. It says, "For the Lord has spoken." You know what I'm saying? Okay, all right, I I get it. <laughs> authoritative, sufficient that we need nothing else. Second Timothy three sixteen and seven says it thoroughly equips us for every good work. That it's effective. Isaiah fifty five says that the word of God never comes back empty, but always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. It is effective inspired by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1, verse 20, 21. No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? And so we know that the Bible is inspired. Again, all the books in the Library of Congress, millions of books, only one was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Only one was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty awesome, right? That's pretty inspiring when you think about it. So what does God's Word do in our lives? John 17:17, 17, 17, it's the source of truth, and we are sanctified by the truth. Proverbs 8:34, it's the source of happiness. First Peter two verse two, it's the source of growth. Romans 1:16. says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power." Of God for those who believe. Hebrews 4:12 says it cuts to the heart. Psalm 19.105 says it's the source of guidance. Romans 15:4 says it's the source of comfort. We know from Ephesians 6, it's also the source of victory. The sword has this amazing, amazing power. The word of God. It allows us to be offensive and not offensive like offensive to other people, but on the offense, amen, and defensive, blocking as well as cutting. We have a spiritual weapon to be used in the spiritual dimension that is divinely powerful. This is a weapon powerful enough to assault any spiritual fortress. Any viewpoint raised up against the knowledge of God, any anti-God viewpoint or ideologies, the sword is your defense. You cannot defend yourself if you do not know the word of God. You are defenseless. You cannot help yourself or others if you don't know, if you don't watch your life and your doctrine closely. You are vulnerable to false doctrine, to deception and ignorance. The word that the Bible talks about here for the word is rhema. It's not logos, but it's rhema, and it's talking about a specific use, a precise way to defend yourself, to use the precise text to defend yourself. Look at Jesus in the garden, or not Jesus in the garden, but uh, Jesus in the temptation in Matthew 4. Satan's using all these twisted scriptures, and he's coming back with the appropriate and precise scripture to answer everything he says that's what we have to learn to do we've got to learn to wield the sword if we're going to be able to experience the victory that god has given to us by giving us the spiritual armor we know that this is amazing power right here We know that the helmet of salvation, we need it because Satan attacks us. But you know, on July 4th, 1776, our forefathers decided to take up their swords. And they had no idea exactly how it was going to go, but they were all in the battle. But on July 3rd of 2016, we are going to make sure that if you've somehow put down your sword, that you take it back up again. That if you somehow put taken off your helmet of salvation, that you put it back on again. If you've dropped your shield of faith, that you put it back up again. We have got to put on the full armor of God. We have got to suit up so that we can have the victory because Jesus gave us the victory when we wear the full armor of God. Amen.